What is true freedom? Praise the Lord. Can we talk about that tonight? I said, what is true freedom? What is it? What does it mean to be free? We read about freedom, dream about freedom. We rejoice in the notion of freedom. We sing about it. We teach about it. We become advocates of it. We hope for it. But what do we mean by it? That's the question that I put before you tonight. Freedom means many things to many people. Uh, We can view freedom politically. Thank God for America. Because here we have the opportunity to vote for particular ideas, people, or parties which best represent our views. Closely tied to this is the notion of freedom of speech. Thank God we live in a country where we have the freedom to speak our mind, to preach this gospel, to share our view. Uh, Where one has the liberty to voice their personal opinion or their particular perspective. Others understand freedom in a financial context where people seek to be free themselves of financial debt, outstanding credit, or burdensome loans. How many of you would call that freedom? Oh, come on now. We can do better than that. We view freedom on every one of these fronts, but we're not talking about, amen, an external freedom. What does true freedom look like? What does it look like? Is it a voter's ballot box? Is it someone walking out of prison? Is it seen in being able to buy anything that you want to buy when you walk into a store? Uh, Of course, it's crucial for us as believers to understand what freedom is. Because freedom is the only thing that we have really to offer. We have simply one product to sell. It's not a church It's not the quality of our music, the quality of our facility. It's not the quality of our ushers and greeters and the message that preached. The only thing that we really have to offer the world, if we were to surmise Christianity into one single product and say, this is what we have that nobody else has. Because they can go somewhere else and hear a concert and they can go to an Amway meeting and be greeted better than at many churches. Uh, It's not our small groups and our social connections. Many people find that at the club or they find that at the gym or they find that in their soccer league, their book club. What is the one thing that we have to offer? It is freedom. In a world where we are powerless to free ourselves and there is no other remedy that can truly set the soul and the spirit free, we have true freedom. And we need to understand what that freedom is because that's the only thing that we really have to offer that nobody else can compete with it. Nobody else has anything like it I mean, the government in all of its efforts is not able to set people free. I mean, what do you see with the government? You see a program for alcoholics funded 
by taxing the sale of alcohol. So here's the state-licensed liquor store and across the street, the treatment center. (laughs) And they're funding the center with the money that they get selling the booze. How do you think there's freedom in that? No, there's no freedom in that. And when they walk into the 12-step program, what's the first thing that they teach you? To say the first thing, I am an alcoholic and I will always be an alcoholic. I am a drug addict and I will always be a drug addict. And whatever your issue is, the best they can promise you is issue management. Is that not the truth? That's the best they can offer. That's the best the psychiatrist, the psychologist. Well, listen, we can't solve the problem. We can't fix the problem. We can't do anything about what's been done to you. We can't do anything about the place that you're at. But here's what we can do. We can teach you issue management. We teach you how to manage your alcoholism. We can teach you how to manage your drug addiction. We can teach you how to manage your perversion. And yet, through the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, people can be, have been, set free. And so, the first thing we have to do is define freedom. In order to define freedom, we must define what has us and keeps us in bondage. Have you understand that? Hey man, if, if there's no bondage, why do we need freedom? We're already free. But mankind is born into bondage. What form of bondage is that? Well, when Adam fell, humanity fell. When Adam sinned, we have all now been born, what? Sinners. You don't have to go around teaching kids how to be sneaky. You don't have to teach a child how to lie. You have to teach a child how to tell the truth. You don't, how, you don't have to teach a child how to do the opposite of what you say. They'll try it. Come here. <laughs> no, I said come here. <laughs> Dad said come here right now. <laughs> Okay, let's have a little talk. (laughs) See, when I say come, I tell you to come, you got to listen to me. That could be important. See, and you try to reason with them. And then the next time you say come and they go, (laughs) they take off. You see, because you tried to reason with them. But how do you know, you can't reason people free. You can't reason anybody free. This world is completely deceived. They have convinced themselves that education is the answer to society's problems. Oh, if everybody was just educated, there would be no problems in the world. And that's ridiculous. Listen, you take somebody out here and they're willing to steal from somebody. Hey, man, send them to college. They'll steal from everybody. (laughs) Hey, man, because it's in their heart. They're a thief. And the bottom line is they were over here and they were just, hey, they just pocketing stuff in the store. But we gave them an education now. So they're stealing. I mean, they're like Enron stealing. You know what I'm talking about? 
You know, they're like, they're like uh, congressmen stealing. You know, we got to meet a man a few years ago who came to this church. We did a little seminar on Saturdays on leadership, and he came here, and I got to meet him. He's a very interesting fellow. The man invented call waiting. He invented call waiting. He formed his own company. He became very wealthy, and then the company squeezed him off the board because he concentrated most of his time on research and development. He'd never been to college, but he started out working for what was Ma Bell back in the day and uh, worked his way up and worked in the lab. And, and he developed a technology that would allow him to do broadband speed internet over the old-fashioned copper wire. And so even though he was pushed out by this other company, he was the president of his own company, but he was pushed out. Of course, you know, he got money when he got out, but still he was not happy because he's the president. It was his company. He founded it. But they squeezed him out, forced him to resign. And so he left. But when he left, he took his brain with him. And he discovered this technology and the ability to do this. Now, that has no value in the United States because we have fiber optic cables run from coast to coast. That was part of the tech boom. See, during the tech boom, everybody was going to be rich and everybody got all kinds of money because everybody bought all the tech stocks. So they had all this money. They didn't know what to do with it, so they bought fiber optic cable. Man, fiber optic cable everywhere. Do you know they crossed the Atlantic three times with fiber optic cable during the tech boom? Three times. That's why when you call for tech support on your uh, Blu-ray DVD player, somebody is going to answer in India. And they're going to help you out. And they're going to say, yes, I am an American. <laughs> I'm from West Virginia. Okay, whatever. <laughs> but it's the fiber optic cable that has opened up, shrunk down the size of the world. Now, there's one continent on this planet that did not benefit from the tech boom. That's the continent of Africa. Africa still does not have a fiber optic infrastructure. And so this man saw the opportunity to take the existing copper phone lines in Africa and bring them broadband speed internet without the cost of laying Wi-Fi high, fiber optic cabling throughout the entire country. I mean, like flipping a light switch, his technology could allow a country in Africa to immediately give access to anybody that had a phone to the World Wide Web. How much would that be worth? Well, I can tell you, the first country, the contracts that were drawn up, he would have personally made $1.5 million a month. And the way that he was going to get this deal through is he hooked up with a senator that he met at a meeting for businessmen. And he just thought, this is how senators do business. You know what I'm saying? The senator comes up to him and says, listen, man, this is an incredible opportunity, incredible idea. Here's what we're going to do. Hey, man, we gotta, we're going to go over there and we're going to meet with the president of some of these countries who are anxious to meet him, not because he's a businessman with a great idea, but because he's a senator of the United States and they want to influence the senator. But, you know, in order to keep it all on the up and up, he has to pay the way there. He has to pay the way back. And initial, then finally the senator approaches him and says, listen, this is great, man. I mean, they're, they're to the point they're getting ready to sign contracts. And he comes up to him and says, now here's the paperwork. My wife is going to be 25% owner in this company. Well, you know what? 75% of $1.5 million a month is better than nothing. So he signed the contract. Then the senator said, we're going to need some cash. We have to have cash, $150,000 cash. 
And so this man paid the bribe to the senator who was, unbeknownst to everybody involved, being investigated by the FBI because this was not the only man that he was doing this kind of business with. And it hit the news about two years ago. Remember they found $25,000 in a southern senator's refrigerator? Now this is what's going to blow your mind. The guy that gave him that 25 grand, actually it was 150 grand, but 25 of it was in the fridge, came to church here <laughs> to visit us. He wasn't a member, but he came here to visit. I met him. How cool is that? Watching the news, it's right in your backyard, man. So anyway, he made a deal with the FBI, so he's only going to jail for five years. The senator did no time whatsoever. They found 25,000 bucks in his freezer. He did no time whatsoever. Of course, you know, I don't know what the status is of this man's incredible invention, his idea, whatever, you know. But it's not moving anywhere while he's in jail right now. And my point is, we think education is going to solve everything. This senator is as highly educated as you could get. Him and his wife both went to Ivy League schools. That's how they rose so quickly up in the political arena. Education doesn't make a person moral, and it doesn't give them character. You're not going to be set free because you're more educated. Education's not a, not, a, not, not a way to save us from sin. See, man is in bondage. We're in bondage to what? Sin. Sin, the Bible says the wages of sin, the cost of sin, the payday of sin is death. What does death mean? It means separation from God. God is life. So death means to be separated from God, to be disconnected from God. Anything that has real life flowing through it, hey man, it's connected to God in some way because God is life. God's the source of all life. And yet to be dead, to be separated from God, to be literally cut off from him, that's the cost of sin. And people are in the world are in bondage to sin. And I'm not sure if it's our inability to communicate to them the benefits of being free from sin or if it's the fact that they do not understand that sin is the bondage. You say, why? Because there's pleasure in sin for a season. Isn't that what the Bible says? And listen, I'm not going to lie to you. Sin is fun at first. It's always a thrill. It's exciting. It's dark. It's rebellious. It's nasty. It's naughty. Sin has its appeal. Sin will work on your body. It will get your adrenaline up. It'll, it'll release endorphins. Just sitting around thinking about it and fantasizing about it. Amen. We'll begin to release it. And those chemicals will begin to make you feel good, make you feel satisfied. But how do you understand that's a false feeling? That's a chemically induced high that doesn't last. And it's like these guys that get addicted to the adrenaline rush 
What do they have to do? They constantly have to do, you know, they started out just jumping their bike over a ramp. Now they got to flip it upside down. Now they're on motorcycles doing loops. Now they're jumping out of planes strapped to dirt bikes. Why? Because that's the way sin works. You got to do a whole lot more just to get the same high. And pretty soon before you know it, you're addicted to the activity and you're addicted to the high. And in between, you have no peace. You have no peace whatsoever. Meth is such an incredible picture of this. Because meth is not like other drugs. Hey Amen. What meth does is gives you a real natural high. The natural high is the highest high. No chemical can do for your body what your body can do for itself. What was already pre-programmed in your body by God. And what meth does is it moves upon that pituitary gland and it forces that pituitary gland to become hyperactive and to overproduce the sensation and the chemical of well-being. The problem is, is that as soon as it does that, it damages that gland. It damages that gland so that it can no longer function properly. So people that become addicted to meth need meth just to feel normal. The addiction begins to become so high that they have to take the drug over and over again just to get to keep from being depressed when they're not on the drug. Because just the normal amount of that chemical that would be produced if they had never involved with meth whatsoever, it doesn't produce that anymore. It's not going to do anything till the meth tells it to do that. It literally destroys that gland and makes that gland a slave to the meth. Well, I'm here to tell you, meth's not the only thing that does that. Every time we become addicted to something, that same pattern begins to happen in our life. We can't get back to normal. We can't even just be happy. People begin to become depressed, angry, irritable. I can just imagine this next generation, this X generation, when they all get married and settle in. I mean, literally, when their wife looks at them and says, go jump out of a plane, she's going to mean it. <laughs> go get your fix. You can't even be happy. See, but that's what the devil wants. Get us addicted to something where we can't be happy with what God has given us to celebrate. Marriage, life, children, family, fellowship. Anything pure, just, and holy and of a good report. We can't get a thrill out of that. We're addicted to this behavior. We need some kind of hyperactive behavior, some kind, something that's going to trigger this in our mind. When the truth is, when we come into the presence of God, they've done studies that when people pray, those same glands begin to work in our body. Just as a matter of prayer. That even not only that, that when we pray for other people, we just go in the hospital. They don't even have to be a believer, but we pray for them. These glands begin to activate a sense and a feeling of well-being. They haven't got healed yet. I'm not talking about a miracle. I'm just talking about the power of a simple prayer. Which makes, that begins to make sense to me. Here's something that God has given us that if we live the life that he has prepared for us, we will enjoy the benefits of that natural release of, 
of endorphins that just make us feel good, that just make us feel whole, that make us... How many of you have ever experienced that? When you pray, you feel good when you pray, don't you? You feel good. And when somebody prays for you, how many of you felt better? Immediately. It wasn't a miracle. I'm not talking about a miracle. And we've all, maybe some of us have had a miracle. But I mean, just to feel better. I can't tell you how many times that I've seen somebody about to lose their mind. I'll never forget a woman in my father's church lost her 12-year-old son. It was a car accident. Killed him instantly. And she was hysterical. No one could talk to her. Anybody that got close to her, she'd literally try to scratch them and claw them and just get away from me. She was losing her mind. There was no question. If there was ever a case where I would say literally a doctor might want to give her a shot or something because she's going to hurt herself, she's going to hurt somebody. And I watched my father just walk over, take her hand, and said, in the name of Jesus, and as soon as he said the name Jesus, she began to change. She began to calm down. And he just began to pray. He never spoke a word to her. He never even addressed her. He just began to pray. And as he prayed, by the time he got done praying, she could carry on a conversation and begin to move forward. What was it? It's just God. God makes us feel that way. God, God designed us in such a way that when he touches us, that's how we feel. That through prayer, through the anointing, through the power of God, we can access these things. That's why when we look at the world, what are we seeing to the world? We see a sin-sick world that is self-medicating. Is that not what you see? A sin-sick world that is self-medicating. And why do we have to self-medicate? Because they cannot live with the guilt the shame, the disappointment, the heartache, the pain, the hurt that they're causing themselves and the hurt that they're causing others, which are all the consequences of sin. And that's why I am, I am, a, I am, I, I feel like, a, I don't know. I feel like sometimes I'm not a great pastor because I preach some things too much. I just do. I know that I do. I, sometimes I just feel like I rant about it, but it, because it burns inside of me so hard that we have moved away from a gospel that frees people from sin because that's what freedom is. And the majority of churches out here, the majorities of these more modern religions and these mega churches, they're preaching to people that, yeah, you're forgiven of your sins, but you're still in bondage to them. What kind of freedom is that? What kind of freedom is that? What kind of freedom is that to, well, I'm going to go in this booth, I'm going to talk to this priest, and guess what? I'm forgiven for another month. Now I'm going to go out and still do the same nasty things that I did before. The same hurtful, wicked things. The same things that are killing my liver. The same things that are stealing money out of my kids' uh, 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 education and out of their, out of their inheritance. Amen. The same thing that's, that's, that's robbing my body of its health. The same thing that's keeping my marriage from having the level of intimacy and oneness and true peace and love that it should have. All those things are going to rob of me. I've gotten forgiveness of that, but I'm still in bondage to it. What kind of a message is that? Where's the freedom in that? Jesus came to set us free. The message of Jesus is, is that he was not a sinner. I mean, we've preached he's a friend to sinner and he hung around the sinners, but guess what? He never sinned. Praise God. What a testimony. 
But he was tempted and always like us, but he was perfect. Showing us what? That through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can be free from sin. We've given up. We've bought into the lie. Yeah, God can forgive you, but you can't go. I had a guy lecture me the other day. He said, well, I, can't, I can't go a whole Nobody can go a whole day without sinning. I said, well, I'm not going to do business with you. He said, well, why would you say that? I said, because you could be lying right now. You know, here you are talking about you're a, he's a deacon at one of the largest Baptist churches in Bardstown, but he can't go a whole day without sinning. I am not going to do business with you. I'm not turning my back on you. You might kill me. You have no control whatsoever. That's the power of your gospel. Hey, God's forgiven you. Forgiven you of what? How many bodies are under the house? I mean, I don't know. You know what I'm saying? What kind of freedom is that? I, 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 you know, I don't, I don't need that. You know what I'm saying? I don't need that kind of freedom. I need freedom from the sin. I need power to live a godly life. Power, amen, to walk in the spirit that I might not fulfill the lust of the flesh. This is the power of God. Power to be healed, not power to be left hurting and, and wounded and broken and, and, and on a wrong course and my mind is messed up. No, I, I need a God that can renew my mind through the power of his Holy Spirit. A God that can heal me. A God that can restore me. I had someone tell me the other day, they said, well, you can't do anything about homosexuals. They're born that way. I just looked at them and said, I'm not going to argue that with you. But here's what I will say. To come to Jesus is to be born again. I said, to come to Jesus is to be born again. Whatever the enemy is trying to tell you, listen, this is not something, well, we're just going to hang on to this drinking issue. We're going to hang on to this lust issue. And I, I, I read an article posted by a, a, a Christian, so-called Christian, the other day that, you know, men are always going to fight with lust their whole life. I thought, what a horrible message. That's what you've got to offer our young people today. You'll never get over it. <laughs> just learn to deal with it. You know, learn, learn to deal with it. No, Get free. Get free. Don't be controlled by your carnal mind. Cast down every thought and imagination that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. There are men that have been set free that can look a woman in the eye. Amen. It doesn't matter how beautiful she is or how she's dressed. They can look her in the eye and have a conversation with her about her soul and not be controlled by her looks. Someone came to me one time that was here at this church and she, she said to me, she said, well, I'm sick and tired of all the men in this church having to stare at the ground when they talk to me. I said, well, why don't you dress right? That's what I told her. I said, why don't you dress right? I said, besides that, I'm looking at you now. She said, well, I'm not talking about you, pastor. You look me in the eye. I said, yeah, because the eye is the mirror to the soul. And, she, and, she, and I said, I'm seeing a whole lot more than what they're seeing. Let's be honest. Seen what spirit she was of. She's fishing for a compliment. I'm not giving her one. Hey Amen. You got all your self-esteem out there on your outfit. Hey Amen. You're just, you're just looking for someone to just give you a little fix out there. But I'm going to tell you what. That's not true happiness. 
I said, that's not true happiness. If you can't make it through the day without somebody praising you and puffing you up and lifting you up and telling you how beautiful you are, hey man, you're too wrapped up, tied up, tangled up in appearances. Hey man, you need, to, you need real freedom. What is real freedom? Real freedom begins in the inside. Real freedom is the peace of God. What is the peace of God? Jesus said, this peace I give to you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Amen. Shalom literally means nothing missing, nothing broken. That's what God has for us. Amen. To set us free that we are in the world, but we're not of the world. That yes, do we battle the flesh? Yes, but the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. We will not lose this battle. We will not be a victim to the flesh. The world will not control me. Amen. It will not manipulate me through my sexuality or through my fleshly appetites. But when Jesus Christ made me free, he made me whole. And my Bible says whom the sun sets free is, oh, come on, shout it louder than that. That's, that's a little, little bit better. That's so late, man. It was just too late. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it was loud, but it was late. He whom the sun sets free is... <laughs> okay. That was a little slow, but I appreciate the volume. You started on time, but you finished later than everybody else. <laughs> but we're getting, we're getting better what does that mean we're free indeed Jesus forgave us of our sins but then what did he do he gave us the power of his Holy Spirit see here's, here's where we're missing this and I keep coming back to this but I'm telling you we are a free Pentecostal holiness movement what are you saying that is what the Bible teaches the Bible teaches that's not just our view well, the Baptists have a view and they're partially right. We're part. No, listen, listen, we believe what we have received through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible teaches free Pentecostal holiness. Amen. The concept that we can live a holy life, that we can be sanctified. Praise God for the power of sanctification, a renewed mind. Amen, that old things have passed away and all things have become new. Amen, I, I, I'm telling you the frustration we have in the church today is we've got a lot of people in the church, they've been forgiven, but they have no hunger or no pursuit of holiness. The Bible says without holiness, no man shall see God. I'm not here to tell you that you know, unless you reach some certain status of holiness, you're not saved. And, but the point is, is you will not experience God nor his presence. You will not see God as God really is until you are in hot pursuit of holiness. Why? Because you don't even understand God if you don't understand holiness. God hates sin. He despises sin. God will not have sin in his presence. God doesn't just change his mind. Well, you know what? Rather than send my son to die, I'm just going to change my policy on sin. No, there must be a remedy for sin. 
There must be a price paid, a blood sacrifice to cover that sin. Because all sin, all sin will be punished by God. True and righteous are his judgments. And how foolish we are that we have, we have adopted the world system of what freedom is. What is freedom? Are we free? Praise the Lord. Have you been set free? Oh, man, I'll tell you what, Jesus Christ, he has made me. He has made me. I'm just gonna, he has made me Oh, thank you, Jesus. Glory, glory, glory to God. Hallelujah. You know what that one is right there. You know you do. Glory to God. He has set me free. Praise the Lord. He has truly set me free. I was just telling my girlfriend the other day how much I love Jesus, how much I thank God that she came into my life. God gave me someone that will never tell my wife. That's not freedom. That's not freedom. Well, you free. And, and we wonder why the world isn't lining up at the door. You say, man, we've got real freedom. And why isn't the world lining up at the door? It's because nobody's modeling it in front of them. I said, nobody's modeling it in front of them. Nobody's standing there saying, I'm free, man. I'm free. There's freedom. There really is freedom. Sitting in the hospital over in Jefferson. Waiting in the emergency room. Had a family member up there, a church, a church member up there. And uh, one of my family members walks down the hallway. And so, you know, I watch her walk down the hallway and then I watch the guy that's there across from me in the waiting room. I don't know who he is. I watch him walk her, watch her go down the hallway after she got by. And so he turns around and look at me and goes, I'd hit that, wouldn't you? Oh, you know I've never had nothing like that happen to you? <laughs> now, here we go on Facebook again. Pastor Shay hit that when he was preaching. Look, can y'all leave it alone? I'm telling you what happened. I'm just being real, all right? Besides that, my dad calls me every time you post that stuff. I got a phone call over Life Sucks. It's few days. It's full of trouble. I just brought it up to modern English. But this is what the sinner man said to me. And I said, uh, I said, I know her. He goes, well, then maybe you can hook me up. And I started to stand up and I said, I feel sorry for you, sir. Well, what do you mean by that? I said, because you constantly want what you'll never have. Because I know for a fact that woman right there would never be attracted to you. Or anyone who acts like you. He didn't appreciate it, but didn't he have nothing else to say? Then I picked my Bible up. (laughs) (laughs) And you know what was sad though, really? I'll be honest with you. Can I tell you the worst part of that story? When I picked my Bible up, I I really picked it up because I thought, well, that's going to silence him. But actually what I saw was when he saw my Bible, 
I saw him take the posture that now he could dismiss everything I just said. Because, see, I'm a preacher. Oh, well, he has to, you know, he has to say stuff like that. But you know what? That's, an exa- that's, a, that's what the world is right there. The world's just in bondage. And no matter how much, like I said, the, the worst thing that can ever happen to you is for you to get what you think you want. It will eat you alive. It will destroy you. You have no idea. There's plenty of testimonies in this room about people got what they thought they wanted. And thank God Jesus rescued them before it was too late. Thank God Jesus showed mercy to them. Thank God Jesus saved their marriage, saved their reputation, saved their testimony before it was eternally too. Thank God that he loved me enough not to give me what I thought I wanted. But he gave me what I needed. And I'm telling you right now, this message is not about beating on you tonight. I didn't come here tonight to beat on you. I came to you to say, listen, the greatest thing we have to offer this world is freedom, but we've got to model it to them. We can't walk in bound to depression, bound to anger, bound to lust. You're not going to win anybody to Jesus like that. Sitting there engaging in the same kind of language. I'm offended by some of the language of our young people. Offended by it. Constantly. What, 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 what in the world are you talking about? Whatsoever things are pure, just, holy. These should be the pursuit. We can't even love these things anymore. Why? Because we've programmed our bodies to respond to what's wrong. What's naughty, what's bad. Amen. We need to go back to Jesus, go back to the altar, and lay ourselves on that altar. Say, God, I'm raising the standard now. Don't just forgive me of my sins. Wash me. Cleanse me. Teach me your ways. Teach me to walk as a man or as a woman who is holy before God. And make that our passion and our pursuit. Let's have some young people. Amen. That a movie doesn't have to be raunchy. Or or a joke doesn't have to be dirty. Something doesn't have to be unclean or on the edge for us to have joy in it. Why can't we enjoy friendship? Why can't we enjoy conversation and company? Why can't we enjoy talking about the things of God? We've made everything else a priority. We've, we've, we've fed our appetites and we've fed this monster that, that's called the flesh for so long. Amen. That our spirit is just a little tiny voice in the background saying, please, no, not anymore. Not anymore. I can't handle any more of this. And yet our contentment, our joy, our happiness, that's where it is. That's where it is. Thank God. Sanctification is simply coming to that place where that before we think about it, 
before we have time to cast down every evil thought, the right thing, the good thing, the godly thing, the loving thing is our natural habit. I, you know, when, 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 you know, when we first get saved, what do we got to do? We got to remind ourselves, don't cuss, don't cuss. You know, you want to, and you know that boy right there deserves a cussing, but I am not going to cuss. I'm not going to do it. There's nobody else at the car. Nobody will hear me. And the guy that just cut me off deserves some words that are not in the Christian vocabulary. But I'm not going not gonna to do it. And then we grow past that to where we just, you know, we don't, we don't cuss anymore. We just, we just don't. But we still get mad. And so we have, we have our special words that we use. We get mad. I, I'm trying to remember we had, we had a... I had a guy in the church, he had a word, it was just the funniest word, I'm, I can't remember what it is, but, you know, he, he said it so much, I ought to be able to remember what it is, I, I just can't, I, you watch after service, I'll think of it, and what it was, but it just, you know, he replaced the cussing with a better word, and that's, you know, that's a good start, it's better than, you know, wah, wah, it's better than, you know, saying it, but still, it's kind of a, but then we get to the point where we just, you know, where, where we don't get angry so quick and we don't pop off so quick and we, and we grow in the grace and we grow in temperance and the fruit of the Spirit. You know what I'm saying? Until we're not, in, we're not ill-temperate. We're not, we're not uh, intemperate. We're not ill-tempered. We're not the type of person. We don't, we don't fly off. We just, we've got a peace about us. We've got a calm about us. We just, you know, don't get upset. And it's not a sin to get angry. You do know that, right? There's righteous indignation, and uh, you know, anger is, is is not a sin all by itself. There's some things we need to get upset about. There's some things uh, that we we need to uh, manifest some anger about, and express some passion. God doesn't make us dispassionate. God's not a dispassionate God, is He? God showed his anger a few times. I mean, he's smoking people with leprosy up there, opening up the ground, <laughs> swallowed them dead. God, God's got a bit of a temper on, on him, but he's not intemperate. It's not an undeserved reaction. It's not a reaction that is uncalled for. What they did doesn't demand the energy that I gave back to them. That's what intemperate means. And that's... When we begin to walk in the spirit, we begin to get rid of that. And then pretty soon, you know, what happens? We used to, you know, get cornered on something. And our first tendency was to lie. Just natural tendency. Did you? No. <laughs> no, 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 no. And, and, and these kids today, listen, they're, they're amateurs compared to my brother. I'll be honest with you. I get, I, sometimes I whoop my kids just because their lies are stupid. You know what I'm saying? It's like, you know, you would have probably not gotten in trouble if you'd have just told the truth. It's not that big a deal. But one of the things that I think is one of the greatest sins that you can tolerate in your children is stupidity. You know what I'm talking about. Just plain stupidity. It's like you did not think this through. My God, give it some effort. Your Uncle Ronnie would be so embarrassed by this. Man, Ron had evidence planted two days in advance. There was just no, and then here you just going to throw something up off the cup and think my lie detector isn't going to go off. Don't even chat. I didn't even get my Holy Ghost out. I seen it in your eyes. I read an article in Detective Magazine that tipped you off. I don't even need the Spirit of God. I didn't even have to pray about it. You're going to get whooped. 
I just don't do stupid. I don't know how many times I told my kids, I don't, I ain't raising nobody. That's stupid. But you know what I'm talking about. That's our natural tendency. We're going to lie our way out of it. No, 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 no. I didn't break the lamp. The ball did. Of course, I threw the ball. (laughs) Got him on a technicality. I win. But see, when you begin to get closer to God, your natural tendency is, even in a difficult situation like that, to tell the truth. To own what's yours. You want to talk about weird, you know. Be married to a spitfire like I am. She's watching right now. I know she is. I just feel it in my heart. So I'm going to be very careful what I say, but I'm I'm married to a spitfire. But be married to a spitfire like I am and then just watch the grace of God. Amen. Over the years. And then just one day she just looks at you and goes, "Uh, yeah, I I was wrong about that. What, what did you say? <laughs> oh my God. I mean, I started a whole nother fight just because I wasn't ready for that. Bro. I never heard that before. Whoo, that's the power of God. That's a miracle. Come on. That's only God can change somebody like that. I said only God. My dad said one time when he was preaching, he said, only God could make a McFadden admit he was wrong. <laughs> Woo! But that's the process. We've, we've fallen out of love with the process. And we're still not free. You say, why? Because we're tethered. We're tethered to habits. We're tethered to anger. We're tethered to unforgiveness and bitterness and fear and worry and things that Jesus came to set us free from. Deliver us from. Amen. We don't have to be. We can be free. Why not just be free? Why not realize that the power is not in willpower? It is in the power of God living through us. Listen to the right voice and it will lead you into paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Think about that. Where is God trying to take us? He's trying to take us down a path of righteousness. Righteousness is right standing with God. To be right in the center of God's perfect will. Why? Because that's where your blessing is. And what is blessing? It is happiness. It is wholeness. It is fulfillment. It is the greatest sensation and feeling in the world. And unlike the world's remedies, it doesn't hit you and then wear out and then you got to hit it again when the peace and the wholeness and the contentment of the Spirit of God comes into your life, it comes to stay. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David even saw a glimpse that one day, through the power of the Holy Spirit, men and women would be able to live in the presence of God. Wow. We can live in God's presence, yes. Yes. How many of you ever experienced the presence of God? I mean, you you knew God was there. You knew God, you felt God touch you. You felt the power of God slay you. You felt the power of God do something. It made you tingle. It made you shout. It made you jump. It made you cry. It made you weep. In some way, some form, let me see the hand. 
That's just about everybody that's in this room. And how do you know just as quickly as it comes, it can go? Just a single fleshly, selfish thought. and It can go. I remember we were having a battle. I shouldn't even tell this. I should quit right here, Josh. I'm still going to tell it. I shouldn't confess some of this stuff. It's, it's going to make me look bad. Okay, we're having a baptismal service at the whole church. And we get ready to baptize this sister, and the power of God comes in. She starts testifying. And her testimony was powerful. I said, would you like to share anything? And she just looked at me, and her head began to shake, and she began to cry out to God, I gladly die this death with you, Jesus, that I might be resurrected, a new creature in Christ. And I felt the power of God hit me, and I started to go out in the Spirit. And as I was going back, I thought, if you fall out in the Spirit and water, am I going to float or am I going to sink? I promise you that's what went through my mind. And before I ever hit the water, I was like getting right back up. And now, I'll never know. It's never happened again. I've relived that moment a thousand times and thought, let it go. Even in my heart, I've tried to blame the ushers because I thought to myself, these ushers don't have enough sense to fish me out. I mean, because these were the same ushers just, you know, right around the same time, a demon-possessed guy grabbed me and started shaking me, and they stepped back away from him. I got two big ushers right there, and a big old guy grabs me and shakes me like a rag doll, and you step back? You stepped back? That's what you got. That's what the whole, that's what your Holy Ghost told you to do. Let him have have the pastor. We can get out of here. I mean, you know, I thought this was a brotherhood, man. I thought you had my back. And they're just like, he's got the pastor. Let's go. <laughs> Leave him. He's not going to make it. Man, when I got my hands free from that guy, I said, in the name of Jesus, shut up. There wasn't time to be nice about it. That's what I said. And the, the power of God hit him. He dropped to his knees and he came straight at me. I mean, straight for me. All 300 pounds. I jumped out of the way and left him laying on the floor and looked at the ushers and said, what are you doing? I mean, this was a teaching moment if ever there was a teaching moment. And so I, I, I'm being honest with you. I said, I didn't have a lot of confidence in the ushers to fish me out, brother. But God is that sensitive, I believe with all my heart, God is that sensitive to the flesh. God is that sensitive. You're not going to come into the presence of God with a bunch of self. Some of you have never moved beyond self-pity as a way to try to access the power and presence of God. You've spent the majority of your Christian life complaining about how bad you got it and trying to convince God that you got the worst case scenario in the world. And it's never brought any presence. It's never brought any power. Why? Because God responds to faith. And if we want to come in the presence of God, let me tell you something. 
there's a laver before we ever even get into the outer court. There's a place of cleansing before we ever even get into that outer court. Till we enter into the, where the table of the shoe bread is. We ain't even talking about the Holy of Holies. If we're going to get to the Holies of Holies, we've got to connect with that shoe bread and that candlestick and that altar of incense. But the cleansing, you don't even... And yet there really is freedom. There's hope. Jesus Christ can set you free. Let me tell you something. There's a lot of people in this room right now that could say, listen, I was once addicted to drugs. Jesus Christ set me free. I was once addicted to cigarettes and Jesus Christ set me free. I was once addicted to pornography, but Jesus Christ set me free. There are people in this room that can say, I was once uh, uh, addicted to a homosexual lifestyle, but Jesus Christ set me free. I was once depressed and Jesus Christ set me free. And now that sin, unlike the 12-step program, the psychiatric program, the psychologist program, the state-sponsored program, once that's who you are, that's always who you are, through Jesus Christ, the sin of your past no longer defines you. And that's why Jesus can take the greatest whore in the city and make her virtuous and justified just as if she had never sinned. God can restore your innocence. God, through the power of his spirit, can renew your mind and set you free. I believe it with all of my heart. That's what freedom is. That's what real freedom is. When the heart is free. When the heart is no longer divided. Amen. When the price and the penalty of sin for you has been paid. And the heart that was once corrupted and enslaved to evil belongs fully and completely to Christ Jesus. When you have entrusted your complete life to Jesus Christ and are now led by his spirit, then you have found true freedom. That's what I believe it means to be free. I believe that's what it means to be light and salt for the world to look at us. And not that they see the absence of sin. Not that they look at our good works and see Jesus through our good works. But because of the testimony of freedom. Because of the testimony of freedom. Let me ask you something. How, how is freedom expressed? How is freedom, how is true freedom expressed? When somebody's been in bondage for a long time and they've been set free, how is that freedom expressed? Amen. They immediately begin to go and enjoy the things that they could not enjoy before.
And when Christ sets you free, amen, immediately the relationships that were broken, you can begin to enjoy those relationships again. That fellowship with God that was gone, that was missing, amen, you can begin to enjoy his fellowship again. That the, the family of God that was missing and out of your life during that season, you begin to enjoy and you begin to celebrate, amen, and you begin to uh, uh, and, but then not only that, what, what, do you, what do most people do when they've been in bondage and then they begin to experience freedom? They begin to want freedom for everybody else that's around them. Freedom for everybody else that's around them. I watched a documentary when I was younger called Scared Straight. And now they've got something out that's called Beyond Scared Straight or something like that. People that are lifers in prison that are doing everything they can to take hold of these kids that are headed down the same path that they are and convince them you don't want to be in this kind of bondage. You know, one of the greatest evangelists that I know, amen, was serving a life sentence in prison for killing somebody when God saved him and called him to preach. And through the favor of God, he was paroled. And now, with a passion that could almost make you nuts just to be around him. I mean, I'm telling you right now. The guy's got, I mean, twice my age and twice my energy. But he has a passion for souls. A fearless passion to approach anybody that will listen to him. Hey, you don't have to be in bondage to sin. Jesus Christ can set you free. It doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus Christ can set you free. When you've really got this freedom, you want to share it. The preacher don't have to get up and cheerlead you into being part of the outreach. Come on. You, there's something that burns it. You've really been set free. And when you've been set free, you want that freedom for everybody. Because there isn't any way to go to work and sit in the cubicle next to somebody else and not see their bondage. And not see their pain. And see the price that sin is exacting from their life. You say, well, I know, I know. Because God set me free. And I believe with all of my heart that if we'll we'll pursue holiness, somebody's worried. They say, you know, Pastor, if you focus too much on the inward and on holiness, Amen. Your church will not be a church that's that's involved in outreach and it becomes ingrown and it, it becomes about the glory and the manifestation of the presence of God. And I couldn't disagree more. When we really get free, we will be the greatest soul winners this world's ever seen. When we fall in love with holiness, we won't be able to walk down the street without seeing the sin, the hurt, and the shame in the eyes of everyone that is around us. Amen. We, and, and not to mention to be led by the Spirit of God in our, in our outreach and in our worship. We tried everything. We pass out tracts. We give away Bibles. We do a lot of things that are really a soft touch. But you know what really changes lives? Amen. Is when we go out under the anointing of the Holy Spirit like Jesus did with the woman at the well. And we look at him and say, woman, you've had five husbands and the one you've had now is not your own. When we look at him and say, Nathaniel, I saw you under the fig tree. When we look at Peter and say, behold an Israelite in which there is no guile. Amen. When we literally begin to walk in the spirit and God begins to speak through us, reveal to us, Amen. What's the issue in that person's heart? What's the issue in their life? Amen. God can set people free. 
And there's a confidence when you're free. There is. There's a confidence when you've been set free. When you're still struggling, if your own heart does not condemn you, you can have confidence towards God. But when you really lay it all down, when you just lay it all down and give it to God and walk away, there's a confidence towards God. There's a faith that comes in that can move mountains and cause things to happen. How do you believe what I'm saying to you? This is the Word of God. And we need to, we need to desire that. I wonder if we could just stand to our feet. I want us to just come down here.